السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته. الحمد لله، الحمد لله وكفى وسلام على عباده الذين اصطفى. خصوصا على سيد الرسل وخاتم الأنبياء وعلى آله الأسكياء وأصحابه الأتقياء أما بعد. Firstly, um, that heckling you heard right before the lecture started is Sheikh Mikhail, my brother and friend. And it's a blessing having him uh, in the crowd whenever I speak because I know there's going to be some life here. I'm your hype man. He's my hype man. You know, like when you're speaking, you need to find a few people in the crowd that feed you the energy. So if you go to a crowd and there's no response, as a speaker, it's really tough to speak. And it's because you're not speaking to emptiness. You're speaking to people and you're trying to convey this message. So when you have some people there that are not in their head and they're vibing with you, it feeds you that energy that you need. And Sheikh Mikhail is always there, so that's my man. And Sheikh Abdullah Wahid, every time he introduces me, I'm on the edge of my seat. I don't know which way this is going to go. Is it going to be full of sarcasm or it's going to be you know, him having an honest, beautiful, sincere moment? We had the latter today and for that I'm thankful to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We count our blessings one day at a time. So today's topic is to do with finding inspiration from the Qur'an in the face of adversity. There are some things in life that you really can't understand until you have experienced them. It's something that young people get very irritated by when they're told this, that you'll understand this when you experience it. But as you move along life and you experience, what you begin to realize is that it's so true because until the heart doesn't experience the emotions attached to any one scenario of life, you're not really able to fully empathize. And therefore, your solutions may not be as deep and meaningful. Those experiences in life, they make you into something special. They help you develop. You know, when I was young, I read the ahadith and my mashayikh would always talk about the importance of sincerity and ikhlas. I didn't know what ikhlas was. I just knew that it meant doing something for the sake of Allah. So it was an idea that I was trying to comprehend and chase, but didn't really know what it was. And I still have no idea what it is. But as life happens and you get older, you begin to see that so much of your life is spent on seeking the attention of people that finally when that exhausts you out and you're tired of doing that and you stop focusing on people, I think it's at that point in your life where you begin to understand what ikhlas actually is. You have to be burnt out by chasing people to understand how meaningless it is and where your focus actually should be. So the same thing goes with challenges and difficulties in life. The Qur'an is full of stories of amazing men and women who walked on this beautiful earth of Allah. And their mention is mentioned, is very clearly stated in the Qur'an. These were the most beloved people to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And the amazing thing about their mention is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala captures for us the most sincere moments in their life which are found in their moments of difficulty. Because worshiping Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and being committed to Allah in times of ease, 
comes easier for some. Even though Imam Abu Hamid al-Ghazali says that being patient in times of ease is much more difficult and more important than being patient in times of difficulty. When, you hear, when, when I read this statement for the first time in the Ihya, it didn't make sense. It sounded like there was something being forced here. That what do you mean it's more important to be patient in times of ease in comparison to being patient in times of difficulty? When you try to really just wrap your mind around it, it doesn't add up. But then the more I thought about it and I continued reading down the passage, it made so much sense. Because if you don't know how to be patient in times of ease, and what does it mean to be patient in times of ease, it's a whole different strategy. Here now, patience, as-sabru ta'a means that when things are going smooth and easy for you in life, your patience is to continue worshipping Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It's in those moments that you worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you do his dhikr, you remember him, you connect with him, that when you're sleeping at night and there is nothing bothering you on the face of this earth and you're pulling that blanket comforter over to you and the room is a perfect 72 degrees and the lights are off and the blinds are up and the pillow is perfect and everything is just Jannah-like. In a moment like that for a person to just say, Ya Allah, thank you. I don't deserve this, but I'm grateful that you gave it to me. I was reading earlier regarding uh, a scholar, Habib bin Abi Habib. He says that I would, whenever he would read the ayah, inna wajadnahu sabira, ni'mal abd innahu awab. When he would read that ayah, he would cry. Inna wajadnahu sabira, we found him to be patient. Ni'mal abd, such an amazing servant. Innahu awab, one that was often in returning back to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, turning his attention back to Allah in prayer and seeking forgiveness. So then when he would read this verse, the scholar, he would cry. And the reason why he would cry, he would say, how amazing is Allah that He gave sabr and then praises us for utilizing what He gave us in the first place. This sabr that we have is not ours. When you experience that patience in difficult moments of life, you have to know that ability to be patient, the idea of patience, this in itself is a gift from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allah says, and he cries and says that Allah was the one who gave the ability to be patient. And then he praises us for being patient. How kind and generous is our Lord. So in the Quran, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala talks about these people who were patient in good moments and also in their difficult moments. And Ghazali says, rahimahullah ta'ala, that being patient in your moments of ease is so important because it's there that you actually build the foundation that is needed for patience in times of calamity. If you haven't built the right, uh, the right ma'rifah, ahwal, and a'mal, three things. If you haven't built the correct ma'rifah of Allah, which is knowing your Lord in times of ease. It's like a person who decides to go into a street fight without first spending months before on that bag. You gotta learn to punch that bag. You gotta learn to bully that bag and beat that bag and not be afraid of getting your knuckles rounded out in the process. Because if you do it now, tomorrow, if you get into that street fight, you're ready to chop that person in half. So you have to have the right ma'rifah, knowing your Lord. The ahwal, the states involved that follow recognition of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, primarily in this context, 
muhabba. And then the, the third thing, it, the a'mal, the good deeds that follow that. When a person develops themselves and builds themselves in times of ease, tomorrow when difficulty comes to them, they're able to own it with confidence. In reality, that challenge is no longer difficult for them because they know the one that they are enduring the sacrifice for. They understand that mama said to me, cut the grass outside. So as he's walking around outside, you know, covered in sweat, soaked in his own sweat, and he's pushing that, that lawnmower, there's no difficulty there. Why? Because he looks back over his shoulder and thinks to himself that if it wasn't me, it'd be mama. And I'd rather put my, my life on the ground a hundred times before she sweats while I'm alive. I'm going to continue doing this. This is facing difficulty on the foundation of love. Because if you face difficulty, adversity, without having love accompanied with it, it will tear you up from within. Whatever little iman you have left in you after that will just be the weight of feathers. So the Qur'an doesn't just talk about people that were patient. The Qur'an talks about lovers that were willing to take on sacrifice because they knew the one that put them there was beloved to them. This is the story. I was talking about how some things in life you have to experience to really understand them. Like when you go through it, you appreciate these things. I've gone through many challenges in my life. Some of them were more difficult than others. One of them specifically had to do with uh, severe back pain. For those of you who might remember me visiting your community from the uh, 2010s and 2009 and those years, I was in a lot of pain. There was a time where almost for a year and a half, I was on a wheelchair and hospitalized in Sheikh Abdullah Wahid's community for over a month. And that's where we really got close to one another as well. I remember when I had my surgery, and I was at home. There were times where my wife would be gone out just to take care of the kids. And I would be sitting there and I didn't have the ability to get up from my sofa to do wudu and pray salah. And I would be in tears thinking, man, I'm awake, I'm conscious. The bathroom's right over there. I just can't get up from here and walk over there. And in moments like that, dark thoughts creep into your mind because we're real human beings, right? We have emotions. And some really dark thoughts would get into my mind. And I had to fight those thoughts out because the thing about wasawis, whispers of shaitan, once you open the door, shaitan's there to party all day and all night. You've got to grip it. You know, if you, look at the, if you look at the collections of hadith, the ulama dedicate a chapter to babun fil wasawis fil waswasa, in which we are taught by a rasul alayhi salatu salam how to deal with shaitanic and satanic whispers. So I had to get a grip on it. And while I was trying to grip, get a grip on it, I tried to look for verses and passages of the Qur'an that would guide me through this difficult time. There was one particular passage of the Qur'an that I found so much strength in. And I wanted to share it with you today because my hope is that as you go through your life and face your ups and downs, maybe you can find meaning in this chapter of the Qur'an. Because life isn't just one difficulty, it's compound. It's one after another, after another, after another. And then some of us are so occupied with maintaining a strong persona in front of people that we can't let our guard down even for a moment. 
So who do you tell that you're in pain? Who do you tell what it feels like struggling with your own father? How do I go and tell someone that I'm struggling with my children? Who do I tell that financially I'm crumbling from inside, but I have to keep a strong face when I'm standing in front of people? Who do you tell about those tears that are warm and they're flowing down your cheeks as you're sitting in your garage alone, nodding your head saying, Ya Allah, I need you right now. Who do you tell? So you're just folding from within, folding on yourself, folding on yourself. This is why in Islam, we have a concept of brotherhood. That no person should go through their difficulty alone. If you're struggling, talk to the person next to you. Tell them I'm having a hard day. And if someone comes to you telling you they're having a hard day, stop thinking of solutions, just give them a hug. I was once given a khatira at, my masjid, at our masjid in, in, in Dallas. It was a sister's halaqa on a Saturday afternoon. We were in the side wing doing our khatira. This guy walks inside the masjid, random guy. He walks in the masjid, he walks around a little, and he walks out. I don't know what happened in my heart. I thought there was something off here. I was in the middle of the halaqa. I said to the sisters, everyone stop. I need to take a break. I walked out and followed this guy, and he looked distraught. Outside our measure, we have these black metal benches. I sat with him. And uh, I said, what are you doing here, buddy? I wrapped my arm around his shoulder. He, wasn't, he was crying. He was an old man, maybe. Not too old, but in his mid-age, maybe around his 40s. I wrapped my arm around him, and I said, buddy, what are you doing here? He said, well, I just called my brother telling him I was going to commit suicide. But I wanted to pray two rakat before I died. So I came here for that. And um, I wrapped my arm around him and I kissed him on the forehead. It's not something that I commonly do, but I knew this guy needed it. So I leaned forward and I kissed him on the head. I said, Baba, I'm here with you. How about we just talk about this? I'm here. I'm going to cancel that halaqa. Sisters are going to go home. You and I are going to sit here and you're just going to tell me everything you want to talk about. And every Jummah I see him since that day, every Jummah I go and give him a hug. Every Jummah. There was no nasiha in that session, by the way. If you ask me what did I say to him, I didn't say squat. I didn't say anything to him. I just listened to him and I told him, buddy, I love you. You're a strong person. You told your brother that you're not going to see him again. I think you're going to have dinner together tonight. Sometimes people just need to hear that. They just need to hear that there's hope at the end of it. How many mothers here are buried in the pain of their children being addicted to illicit drugs? How do you tell someone that my nephew, my niece, my son, my daughter is on that hard stuff? As the Imams, we know this, Sheikh sitting right here, right in the front row, that when there are times where the parents say, Sheikh, my son just died, we're gonna tell people it was a car accident. There's no car accident that happened, I know that. You know that. What happened? He overdosed. A young man in my community in Chicago, it's exactly what happened to him. He overdosed once, they revived him. When he gained consciousness, he said one statement, why did you bring me back to life? He overdosed a second time, he killed himself. This happened in one night. I went there to sit with his wife and his four children. I took his four kids to Dunkin' Donuts, said to them, buy whatever you want from here, it's yours. 
His wife had recently accepted Islam, so she was so overwhelmed and confused. The truth is that all these substances that we're using are symptomatic to the pain that we're drowning in. And if you don't channel that somewhere and make sense out of it all, if there's no marifah of Allah and if there's no purpose in it, how do you recover? How do you come out of it? These tears that I'm seeing in this crowd as I speak right now are a testimony to the fact that we're struggling. We're just buried in those pains. How do we get out? At the time, during the life of Rasul there were these really tough moments that he faced. And I think if there was one moment that was really tough on the Prophet, it was when people started mocking him because his son died. And that's got to be a, that's, that's a super scummish thing to do. When someone's child dies, they're off limits. Literally, they are off limits. If someone in my community comes up to me after Jummah Salah and throws a tantrum and I know that person lost a child, they can say whatever they want to. I am your punching bag. If someone is struggling with their children, we as an ummah give them a pass. That this person is going through a lot right now. The bare minimum I can do is be an ear to listen to them. These people came to the Prophet and not only did they not give him space, they started using foul slurs, abtar. He doesn't have any male children. His lineage will come to an end. And the Prophet is in so much pain. In one narration, the Quraysh, they begin to mock the Prophet because revelation paused. These are different asbab and nuzul. That revelation paused. So they said, our lords have cursed you. And after they said that, revelation continued to be in a state of being paused. It didn't start. So the Prophet ﷺ, dark thoughts came into his mind that what if Allah has abandoned me? What if Allah has left me? So the surah starts off, and I'm reading this surah as I'm sitting on that chair, that sofa, just in pain, waiting to recover so I can pick up my child again. And I'm reading the verses where Allah says, Starting it all off by taking an oath of the early morning because after every long, dark, cold, painful night, the sun will rise. Wabduha. The sun's gonna rise. It all starts in that early morning window as the day starts again. But after every bright day, the night will settle in as well. Sometimes you'll find yourself smiling and other days you're wrapped in tears trying to make sense out of it all. One thing that you must know is that in order for you to pull through this, your perspective has to be right. You can't be weak and lonely. That your Lord has not abandoned you, neither is He angry at you. A mother once called me and she said to me that dear Shaykh, my child is severely disabled and is not going to make it home to the room that I decorated for her. This is in Dallas. She's not going to make it home. I think I'm going to be able to pull through. However, I need to ask a question. People said to me the reason why my child was born with disabilities is because I didn't wear hijab in my life. Is this true? So then I said to her that anyone that said this is a very filthy human being and has a very dirty heart. 
Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala put you through this difficulty so you can be an example for us and so that we will talk about you in Miami 10 years from now. That's why Allah put you through this. So then she said, okay, Habir, I'm ready for my child to die. Never heard a statement like this before in my life. I'm ready to see her off. Your Lord has not abandoned you. Stop thinking so little of yourself. There's no need to be arrogant and boastful, but at the same time, take confidence in the fact that you have La ilaha illallah in your heart. For some odd, unknown reason, your Lord continues to love you. Ya Allah, this is tough though, man. When is this going to get easy? All my friends are getting married and going to their weddings is painful. I have to smile even though I feel so lonely. It's not fun going to weddings anymore. I don't like seeing their Insta pictures. Allah says, The hereafter is better for you than this world. Just be patient. Hold on. The divorce will pass. The child's death will pass. The business loss will pass. All of these moments will pass. What will remain is your loyalty to Allah in those moments of difficulty. That's why they're called hawadid. They just come and go. They're occurrences of life. But ya Allah, it seems a little too much. So to the next verse, Allah says, وَلَسَوْفَ يُعْطِيكَ رَبُّكَ فَتَرْضَى You just hang in there. What makes you different from the atheist? He's got nothing to hold on to. You got me to hold on to. Allah is saying that I'm here for you. Hold on to me, trust me, believe in me. You don't need to tell anyone what you're going through. Just whisper it to me in your sajda. And if you don't have the words, just say, Subhana Rabbi Al-A'la, I know what's in your heart. I've known you since you were a munchkin. I am your khaliq and your creator. The emotions you will never have the words to express, I am the one who created those emotions in you. I gave you iman, so all you need to do is hold tight and trust me. What's next? Fatarda. Your Lord will surely give you, so you will be pleased. The next three verses take the human being into a reflective state of mind, and the summary of them is one statement You are a survivor. Family, intellect, wealth. At every step, when you were lost, Allah was there with you, you have survived. You will get through this too. Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will be there with you. Being a Muslim doesn't mean challenges won't come your way. Being a Muslim means no challenge will be able to disturb your connection with Allah because you have Allah with you. When Allah is with you, nothing will touch you. So when you're alone and you're in pain, I'm not here to speak at a conference, I'm here to speak to individuals. I'm here to talk to the people sitting in these chairs individually. This is not a conference speech. We don't do those things. This is not a hype talk. This is a talk from one person that's in pain to another person that's in pain. That when you're struggling and when you're down, just hold on to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Hold on firm. Just as Allah helped you yesterday, He will help you today and help you tomorrow. So then the ayah continues. And the next two verses 
Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala teaches us to be contributors once we recover. Because all human beings are on this spectrum of either pre-difficulty, difficulty, post-difficulty. Post and if you're post-challenge in life, Today, when you're a parent, don't make marriage difficult for your children because yesterday you were thirsty too. Why are you making it hard on your kids? Why are you making it so difficult for them? Today now, you have a job in your own practice. Don't forget about the med school kids that are trying to pay their bills to get through school. Support them. Look back at people that are struggling. And the last, and with this I conclude, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala finishes the surah with such a powerful message. Stay positive. Shaitan's going to be there whispering to you, God has abandoned you, you're a sinner, you're a bad person. Some of these things may be true, I am a sinner, that's true. So I shouldn't be arrogant to not do istighfar and tawbah in moments of difficulty. That is a very appropriate thing to do, that when I face challenges in life, I take a few moments of istighfar and tawbah. But beyond that, as we move along, that timeline and the days pass by, learn to be positive. You know how people, when they get married, they take a bunch of pictures and they have a marriage album? They put it next to their bedstand. There's a psychology behind it. The idea is that every day you look at that, that, that wedding album and it reminds you of the good moments, even though you're not looking at each and every one of them, it's just positive reinf reinforcements. That's why people put those wedding albums next to their beds. It's a positive reinforcement tool. So with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, have that positive reinforcement every day and it happens for us as Muslims in sajda and dhikr and dua. That's what these things are all about. Every sajda is there to remind us of our Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Marifa, ahwal, a'ma. I pray that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives us tawfiq to understand this. And that these moments stay with us and that we are able to connect with Him. Figure out how to make sense out of your difficulties and you have graduated with a PhD from the school of aqidah and iman. That's what it's all about. Put the philosophies aside and it's about being loyal to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You want to teach your children to be mu'mins tomorrow, believers tomorrow, when they're in their teenage years, or when they're 20, 30 years old, from a young age, help them process the thoughts as they face difficulty in a paradigm of love and obedience to Allah. You figure this out, the dhikr that now emerges from the heart will come from a very sweet place. And it's those moments that earn you your VIP seat in Jannah.